I'm going to pray. I really appreciate you guys praying with me because there's things in this sermon tonight, but in the series, I'm going to do more than one sermon connected to this, that really goes against the prevailing spirit in this region, which is very religious. So anyway, let's pray and believe God, okay? I mean, we'll agree with Pastor. All right, so fathers, we come before you tonight in Jesus' name and through his blood. We unify together in prayer over the word of the Lord. And Heavenly Father, we ask you today, your word is so important. We love worship, we love your presence, and all of that. We love prayer, but Lord, the word of God is our anchor. The word of God is our foundation. And if we didn't have the word, we'd be floating off into all kinds of stuff, all kinds of deception. So Lord, we love your word, and we thank you so much for your word. It's a gift. But we ask you tonight, as I speak, that you would come upon me and anoint me and speak through me the word of the Lord under a mighty anointing, Lord. Give strength, and I pray that the word of God will go out as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, and take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Lord, that even now, the Holy Spirit is preparing people to be good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives in an awesome way. Lord, that you would get them ready, and the Holy Spirit would captivate and give, help us give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus to really get everything out of tonight. That's God's will to be done. And Lord, let your winds of your spirit carry this everywhere it needs to go. And we thank you. We stand on the promise that your word will not return void, but go forward and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So let there be a washing of the water of the word. Let there be light, truth, shining and dispelling all the darkness, lies, evil, deception, and bring truth and revelation. Let this go forth and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do. And let your mighty angels watch over the word because Jesus said, that the birds of the air, speaking of demons, try to steal the seed. And so, Lord, we bind any force of the enemy that would try to hinder the word right now in Jesus' name. We take authority. We agree together that it be bound in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering this prayer right now. We believe, we receive it, we expect it in Jesus' name. So I ask you guys, if you would, just as little moving around as possible, um, share some things from my heart tonight. There's some aspects of this sermon that I just, uh, be honest with you, I love preaching. There's some aspects that I do not like to talk about, but I will because God's put on my heart. So anyway, while we're going through this word tonight, one of the things I've seen a lot in this region is I've seen a lot of lukewarmness, a lot of lukewarmness. And over a long period of time, I've been in Dallas off and on for over 20 years of ministry doing different things. I mean, whether it's working with younger people or street ministry or whatever, I've done a lot here in this region of different things. But it's consistently been something I've seen over and over as a religious spirit. And it's been a very serious issue. And I've seen in the past, I've seen a lot of a lack of prayer, um, a lack of witnessing. I've seen a, a lack of hunger. And people just really not really keeping the fire keeping the revival um there's people that god has really touched there's ministries god has touched but it seems like that they've lost the fire you know and um there was even in the past the great revivals of the 90s that came here temporarily but um you know it did it didn't take root in places like it should have and what we're coming up against i've i call it this i don't know that i've heard it anybody else say this but i call it religious witchcraft because it's a religious spirit, but it's also a Jezebel spirit. And so you have religious control 
and, um, and a lot of other things that go with that. So if you're familiar with Jezebel and you're familiar with religion, just put that together, okay? Um, but you know, the Bible has called us to come into an area, into a region, and to not conform to the region. We're supposed to be a group of people that are in the region, and instead of conforming to the region, we're being used as an instrument of change in the region. But too many people have allowed themselves to begin to be influenced by the spirit of this region. I remember years ago, there was a prophetic man who's since gone home to be with the Lord. And he came here. I met him through the Brownsville Revival. And he was actually from England. He was connected to Colin Dye's ministry. And he was a really good friend of mine for years. And he'd come here off and on and minister. And he was a very prophetic man. And I remember that he had this vision at this particular church at this time that I was a part of. He had a vision of the region. And sometimes, you know, somebody coming from the outside in. Is, I mean, he pastored in London, so this is obviously very different territory. But he had a vision of like a, a snow globe would be what I would call it. But there was this glass dome around it that nobody saw the dome. People lived in it, but they didn't even know it was there because it was transparent. And he said he felt, you know, and he went on to describe what I would describe as a religious thing. And I remember that at this particular church, the pastor read that prophecy. And I remember that the Spirit of God really fell during that prophecy in a way that this pastor, who never did things like this at all, trust me, but he ended up really getting on his face and was really affected by it. And it was just the Holy Spirit bearing witness to it. But yet, that church never really changed. God moved there to some degree, but they never really repented and changed. You know, there would be prayer meetings there. Nobody would come. I mean, maybe out of, you know, quite a few, there would be maybe a handful of people that would come. And whenever it came time to do any type of witnessing, again, very few people came. And because of that, the Lord eventually passed them by and went somewhere else. God began to move there. I believe that there was going to be a, a revival there. It began, but they never really repented and changed until the Lord moved on to somewhere else. And it was a different church in the city that started seeing a revival that they should have saw. All right, so hopefully this sermon will be really challenging for all of us. But all of us have a calling. But the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. And so this sermon series is really, it's a little bit different than the way I normally preach, but hopefully it will be very convicting, very challenging for all of us and very sobering. Because we need to be thinking about not just our lives here, we need to be thinking about things that have eternal consequence. All right, so let me just read a few scriptures. Genesis 49, 22, when um, Jacob was speaking a blessing over his sons and he spoke over Joseph, he said, Joseph is a fruitful vine. A fruitful vine near a spring. I believe that that describes what God is wanting us to be. A fruitful vine near a spring of revival. Amen. There should be a continual flow of the Spirit of God and perpetual fruitfulness in our midst. Whose branches climb over the wall. Abundant fruitfulness. 
Ezekiel 19 verse 10 he's speaking of Israel your mother was like a vine in your vineyard planted by the waters it was fruitful and full of branches because of abundant waters the thing that is really concerned me if it's okay I believe river of life will just go with this and it won't be too awkward here okay it would be in some places let me tell you but it's okay I just shoot straight and just tell it like it is there's I don't understand because back in the 90s when revival broke out into several different places and God it was a season of visitation and I'd given my life to the Lord in January 95 and I remember that when God touched me in revival um, I was never the same and I remember having to save up money back then because there was it really wasn't anything really powerful around me here in East Dallas and on into East Texas there's just not I hope there is now but there wasn't back then but I remember saving up money and every time I could going down to Brownsville you know worshiping and getting prayer and I remember really cultivating a personal fire in my life and so that's why one of the reasons why I cherish so much God's presence that's here because I say this humbly with all of you that are experiencing this as well God's not doing this everywhere and I don't take it for granted because I remember having to drive a great distance to experience this I remember having to pay a price to you know go receive of the Lord somewhere because it was not happening around me so it, it just never ceases to amaze me because I've seen so many things and sometimes I've seen some people I think that that take it for granted and don't realize they do it but isn't that the human nature they just take things for granted don't really realize what they have until it's gone but it's never ceased to amaze me in the fire I've seen some people come into the presence of God and they were heathen and God touched them and now they're really doing great God's really doing a work in their life I've seen a lot of that but I've also seen people that come in the fire week after week over the years I've seen this I'm talking about over the years and never really truly get on fire I've seen some people that really got touched by God I mean it was it was really something to behold and now they're professing to be an atheist or something I think of a few people here and there that I've seen this now you know they're sexually deviant in a lifestyle that's sexually perverted or I think of one person you know that has gotten into the occult and I think of other people and they know better because they've sat under the same teaching you have they're without excuse and God has touched them they have no excuse because they've experienced God and I think about the people week in and week out that we can be in the fire but yet at the same time be lukewarm I remember before I preached this sermon I, I had no intentions of preaching on this you know and um, I felt I felt this incredible burden from the Lord I felt like a deep deep grief in my spirit from the Holy Spirit and I don't I don't get this a whole lot but I felt like a deep grief a sorrow in my spirit and I began to fast and pray because I knew it had to be serious and God began to speak to me about lukewarmness and, and things and it really was a, like the Spirit of God was very grieved in some areas and 
I began to pray and fast and seek him and this sermon series is what came out of that time he spoke to me to preach on this but I don't know about you but by the grace and mercy of God I am not conforming to the spirit of this region all right so let's talk about fruitfulness and then I'll get into some other things here in a minute well let me say this we're all familiar with John 15 I'm gonna read some of it but if we're not careful a religious spirit is very subtle and it causes people to to once that were really hungry and on fire for God it's like they begin to gradually slowly lose that and now they're lukewarm now, I'm not saying this you know in a condemning way but in hopefully it'll convict all of us that Jesus said that that makes him want to throw up and we all know that so I know you feel the way I do I don't want my life to be nauseous to the Lord and I think about religion and how religion takes the power of God out of the scenario because I'm gonna give you some examples of what's pervasive in this region and probably throughout America if I had to guess but one of them is the religious spirit tries to take away the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it relegates down the true gospel down to a little rehearsed prayer that somebody prays a little prayer that somebody prays or they sign some kind of a decision card or they join a church but you know what the power of the gospel is whenever somebody really sees Jesus as their Savior and they get born again it is a new birth you're they're a new creation it's not some little rehearsed prayer and then patted on the head and told you're good now it's not how it works and the result of this religious witchcraft is that so many people out there and you run into it all the time just like I do they but you'll go up and talk to them and they live a life of total sin and they'll say oh yeah I'm a Christian it's not how it works and that's not the gospel that's a religious spirit and it's a deception and it's damning many people eternally to hell number two is the lack of the respect of the Holy Spirit is it okay I go there but people they they want to disrespect the Spirit of God they want to disrespect tongues and the gifts they'll give lip service and say something like well I believe the gifts exist and therefore today but yet they'll make statements that are very disrespectful about the move of the Holy Spirit and about people God's using And they want to disrespect the Spirit of God, disrespect the gifts. That is a religious spirit. And the, the problem with that is, is that people need the power of God. They don't need any more man. They need God to touch them. They need an encounter with the living God. And it grieves me to no end. And then I see also the... You know, instead of getting people delivered of things and set free, they, they want to now bring even more of the world into the church 
and it's just endless psychiatry, endless counseling. They get people on Prozac. Look, man, Jesus came to deliver the captives. And it's not time to be counseling people to death year after year after year and them stay exactly like they are. It's time to destroy the works of the devil and drive out the demonic. I'm talking about a religious spirit. And even with healing, people don't believe in healing a lot of times. They disrespect healing. They disrespect those that function in healing. And a lot of the watered-down stuff of trying to blend, again, the world in with um, the power of God with healing. You have, you know, secular medicine and different things blended in. I'm not against it. I'm just telling you that there's healing. There's supernatural healing where you believe God. And it has really grieved me in this region because being here, and this is where God has me, I, have, I think about it regularly. I think about all the people that are out there tonight, that we're in here, but they're out there lost. And many, many of them don't know they're lost. They're just religious. And what the devil has masterfully done is to get people in a place that are true Christians, but they're in a place of being lukewarm and unfruitful. And so they're not affecting their region. And that, that is pervasive. And that has got to change. So John 15, starting with verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Now, how many of you guys believe the words of Jesus Christ really believe them you just you're, you literally believe that his word is truth i do and so if we really do when we read things like this we really need to take what it's saying to heart now this is going to be a scary scripture if you really read it for what jesus said he said every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away some translations say cuts off and every branch that bears fruit he pr he prunes it so that it will bear more fruit now, nobody likes to be pruned. But everybody wants to bear more fruit. And so we need to let the Lord do the pruning. But see, that concerns me. That, that This type of stuff needs to be preached. Because you read other scriptures I'm about to in a minute. Let me read this again. I'm just reading what the Bible says. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away or he cuts off. Hello? And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it to make it more fruitful. You are already clean because the word which I spoke to you abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So we cannot bear fruit without abiding in him. What is abiding in him? A relationship. And it's not a weekly thing for a couple hours. It is a living relationship with the Lord. And he says, so neither can you Bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, so everybody say, abide in me. Abide in me. 
my words abide in you I'm going to talk about that here in a moment abiding in the Lord is the relationship prayer his words abiding in us is that we stay in the word of God you know you see this pattern all through the scripture we need that relationship but we also need to know the word and Jesus said if you'll do that if you'll really abide in me and if my word will abide in you he said ask whatever you wish and I'll do it my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples Luke 13 6 a man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any when Jesus comes looking for fruit we better have some fruit and he said to the vine keeper now who's the vine keeper this is the father remember this and the parable use the pattern Jesus gave us behold for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and I don't find any. cut it down why does it use up the ground hello and he answered and said to him let it alone sir just for this year too until I dig around it put fertilizer and if it bears fruit next year fine but if not I'll cut it down you know that's the intercessors that's people that are praying to God God be merciful give us some more time you know and they're really praying and asking for God's grace Mark eleven twelve. on the next day when they left um, Bethany he became hungry seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on him. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not seasoned for figs. How many knows we better be instant in season and out? Jesus knew it wasn't seasoned for figs, but he still expected fruit. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. So let me tell you, when Jesus comes looking for fruit, we better come up with some. In Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous, ravenous wolves. You know, I'll never, I am, I am a revival crowd person. I am. But I'll never understand some of the people in the revival crowd that I am a part of and deeply love. I'll never understand why they just seem to not understand that Jesus taught us there's going to be some false weird stuff. Hello? And we're to test the spirits. But anyway, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We're not supposed to just accept everything. We're supposed to be checking for fruit. He said, you will know them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every tree that bears good fruit, or sorry, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. So see, God's trying to deal here with a root issue. If a root is bad and the tree is bad, then the fruit's going to be bad. He said, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. So we're called to be looking at fruit. And God's looking for fruit. Let me give you a few scriptures and I'm going to share some things from my heart, but one of the things that I, I have found to be a deep, deep burden in me is that I know what's in this region, but I don't want to conform to it. 
the religious spirit in this region, you got to understand, I've been here a while, and I've been around Christian circles for a while. And I know that there's a, like a suppression of praise and worship. Really, people really being free. You go a lot of places, and there's, they're just, there's something, a religious spirit that has got them in so much bondage that they can't even really be free in their praise and worship. And that's pervasive. But Christ has called us to be an overcomer. God will take us. We're not called to be some hothouse plant. And my wife's got some, you know, beautiful plants and things we keep in the house. Everything is, you know, room temperature. She waters it all the time. God will take you and me. He'll save you. He'll anoint you. He'll put giftings in you. And he'll take you into a desert somewhere and he'll stick his shovel in the ground and plant you there and he'll look at you and say you bear fruit here you bring change to this region you do not let this region kill you but Christ has called us to be an overcomer he'll deliberately put you underneath a brass heaven so you'll pray the thing open Over and over in Revelation, we read, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes. Well, that implies two things. One, that some people will not overcome. But it also implies that we have the ability to overcome, if we will. We can overcome, because he overcame at the cross. And we can do it in him. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Everybody say, cleanse ourselves. From all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You want to know a scripture that needs to be preached seriously. I'm not just saying this off the top of my head. This scripture needs to be preached, I mean, all over this nation. It needs to be hammered. Because you have people out there that are living lives that are so defiled before God. You have such a lack of a fear of God. But the Bible says, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement, perfecting holiness. What? In the fear of God. God wants us to have a holy reverential fear of him. We're called to overcome. People have things, they have besetting sins or they have weaknesses in their lives. And God understands that. But yet, we're called to overcome it. It's not called to overcome you, you're called to overcome it. The things that used to bind you, now you need to be treading on them. We're called to overcome in our region. The prevailing principality over this region, religious witchcraft, trying to get people lukewarm, trying to get them out of prayer, trying to get them out of church. All of a sudden, they're not witnessing like they used to. They're dried up on the vine, all of that. We're called to be here and not conform to that. But to stay on fire. The Leonard Ravenhill had many quotes, but one of them was, if, if, if the fires died in you, he said, God didn't die. And all of us have a destiny in God. 
And we're called to overcome into that destiny. Do not let the devil hold us back from everything that God's called us to. So abiding in Christ, that relationship, Mark 3.14, Jesus prayed all night. And he was seeking the Father. Think about that. All night, prayer, I'm sure fasting, sought God. And he came out that time the next day, and he appointed 12. So you have this group out here, and he comes out, and he's yelling out to them, all right, I want you to come here, you come here, and out of this group, he pulls 12 of them out. Why? He appointed 12 that they might be with him. I'm trying to dwell on something for a minute as I go through this and really let it get in all of us. Everybody say that they might be with him. Jesus called them out to be with him. And once they were with him and spent time with him, then he would send them out to preach. And the Bible talks about healing the sick, driving out demons, but it came out of the relationship. Prayer life. The early church, the apostles, said it's not good for us to be busy waiting tables and all that. And he said we need to devote ourselves to the word of God in prayer. Those that are called to the ministry. So bearing fruit tonight, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I wonder how many people used to weep for the lost, used to have a burden for souls, that now they're kind of indifferent. What could possibly happen to our hearts that cause us to start getting lukewarm and start getting indifferent, and all of a sudden we don't really care about the lost? A lot of places you'll call a barbecue, everybody will come, bring friends, bring neighbors, invite people. You'll see the biggest crowd you ever had. And you invite people to come pray, and nobody comes. You invite people, let's go witness, nobody comes. And it's amazing because Jesus said, make my house a house of prayer. That's the emphasis. And he said, the second thing, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Those are the two things that seem to be extremely important to the Lord, and they're the two things that are the least important among religious people. Hello? Y'all know I'm telling the truth. We're called to be a light, number one. A light is that people see the shining off of you. That's being a witness around us. That's why tonight I prayed, man, I prayed. And I've sought God about helping River of Life with this to, to be a culture of witnessing. And I believe to at least some degree this has, has taken root but this is something cultivated over a long period of time. I, like tonight after church, you know, we encourage people, get in groups, go witness. If you have never witnessed or you don't know how, then just go and watch. But listen, I say this in love, but you and I are not going to get out of the Great Commission. You're not going to get out of it. You can make all the excuses on Judgment Day you want. Well, Lord, I thought it was somebody else supposed to do it. You know, none of that's going to fly. You and I. I'm talking about me too. I put one finger at you and four or five. All of us are not going to get out of it. We are called to be a light. We are called to win souls. 
And when we stand before the Lord, listen, in this life, I want Jesus to come around River of Life and he's coming to a fig tree looking for fruit. And I want him to see people out doing that, witnessing, winning souls. And Jesus goes, ah, they're doing what I said. They're actually, listen, they're actually doing what I said. Wow, I can just see the amazement on Jesus in America (laughs) that they actually are doing it, you know. And we're called to be salt and light. So the salt has to do with prayer. The salt changes the flavor. I guarantee you if Jesus tasted Dallas right now, he'd want to spit it right back out. But here's the thing. When, when he sees River of Life and others really praying, I mean really going after it, it's salt. It changes the flavor. And the Lord says, well, instead of vomiting out of my mouth, he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit. But you're going to have to have prayer before you have effective evangelism. Because people are in bondage to the devil. These lost people out there, I don't want to dove, like get off on a rabbit trail about this, but I've seen... The demons manifest in the lost out there repeatedly. They get goofy. If you bind up the forces of darkness before you go and take authority over the enemy, then you're going to be fruitful. But I'm just telling you, these people are under the influence. Let me read it again. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this age, the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. It's our responsibility. We cannot put this off on other people. It is your responsibility. It's my responsibility. Let's take it upon ourselves. It is River of Life's responsibility. We're not going to get out of it that we are to pray and we are to bind the devil and we're to get out there and see people saved. And I believe on Judgment Day, you and me, we're going to have no excuse because we have the Bible and we know. The question is, are we actually going to do it? Just to touch on this, it'll come up in later sermons, but there's rewards in heaven. And Jesus has, he's told us. He said, you know, don't store up treasures where on this earth where moth and rust destroy and all that. Store up treasures in heaven. He's told us live for eternity. Live with eternity in mind. The closer you get to the Lord, the more that this world seems weird and you feel out of place and the more you think about heaven the more you think about seeing him and what is going to matter then not here so much see right now unfortunately a lot of things that are preached and you know this as much as I do a lot of the things that are preached are gearing people toward the here and the now. How to have a successful life now. Y'all hear what I'm saying? How to be happy now. How to have wealth now. How to have this and that now. And I'm not against that. But the problem with it is, is that the emphasis is supposed to be on eternity. You know, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom. I'm about to get to that in a moment. But there's crowns. There's five different crowns in the Bible. There's, there's a book of remembrance. So there's books. There's crowns. There's rewards. There's things that when we stand before the Lord, the way that we lived our life is going to determine what we have there and what we don't have. But some people are just going to be standing there 
in a pile of ashes because anything they ever did, they did with selfish motives for themselves to get the glory. Hello? Or they never did anything. And they're not going to have any rewards. Other people are going to have crowns. They're going to have all kinds of rewards. And it's going to be quite obvious that they really served the Lord and did something for him. But it's interesting because there's different books. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life if you're a true Christian. But did you know there's other books? Malachi 3.16. Then there were those who feared the Lord. How many knows not everybody that goes to church nowadays fears God? And they spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and esteem his name. I don't want my name just to be in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want my name in other books, like in the Book of Remembrance. But it's all determined on how you and I live today. It's all determined on the here and the now. We need to think about today. Steve Hill used to say, live every day like it's the last. Here's a warning for many, and this is what I wanted to get to. Matthew 13, 22. Jesus gave the famous parable of the seed and the sower, remember? And some seed fell here and there, and he explains all of it. But I want you to notice this one right here. The one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word. And it becomes unfruitful. See, there's people that will hear these type of sermons. I'm just going to be real blunt about this. There's people that will hear these kind of sermons and they're never going to change. They're never really going to get it. That it really is about them. And it really is a call for them to change. They're always going to think in their mind somehow it's for somebody else. And I've seen it over the years that some people seem like they're just never going to get it. But I love challenging sermons like this, probably because I sent under Steve Hill at Brownsville and then on into Heartland and all that. But, man, he would challenge us, you know. But it's so easy if we're not careful. Every, I can just imagine people are thinking, this is for you and me. Today, it's so easy for us to get too caught up with the busyness of life, making money, that we no longer are fruitful. That's just the way it is. And I've seen it. And people will think they're okay. <laughs> They'll think it's for somebody else. And it really is to them. So I remember my wife and I, we have little side jobs and things we do. And... The Bible says, seek first the kingdom. And we've had to talk amongst ourselves, you know, that there's times that we've just had to turn things down, sometimes where we could have made decent money, but we've turned it down because it, it would have conflicted with us serving the Lord. It would have conflicted with our prayer life, which I'm not willing to give up. It would have conflicted with um, being able to study the work. It would have conflicted with us being able to do what we're doing in the ministry. And so we had to turn it down. 
But here's the principle. Because we sought first the kingdom, my wife and I can both attest that Jesus Christ, his words are real, that we sought first the kingdom and put him first. And he went and added those things without us even having to worry about it. He really did, didn't he? But a lot of people don't think that way. When an opportunity for more money comes, they don't really think about, is this going to affect me bearing fruit? They just take it. Revelation 3.11. Jesus said, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so no one will take your crown. I don't want my name erased out of a book. I don't want to lose a crown. I don't live for the here and now, and that's what's kept me going. I live for what the judgment seat is going to be about. And that has to do with being faithful with what you're called to do. Being faithful and being obedient. Bearing fruit. So here's, here's some of the warnings. Sadly, most Christians out there don't have prayer lives. You know it. I know it. Consequently, they don't have spiritual discernment. They really don't know when something's of God or not. They follow charismatic personalities. They follow the smoke and the lights. And they follow crowds. Because they think, well, God must be in it. Sometimes he is, sometimes he ain't. And they have little strength to overcome. They could be overcomers. They're called to be overcomers. There's no excuse. But yet they don't seek the Lord about it. They don't pray and fast and go after God. See, here's what the Bible says. It says, if you will draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. So the initiative needs to be us going after God. He said, if you'll seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. You know, David talked about as the, as the deer pants for the water, my soul long. So you're picturing a deer. He probably, you know, wrote, thought about this when he was out with the sheep and it was quiet and he saw a deer out there. You know, the deer runs around, it gets extremely thirsty. And it's trying to find a water source. And David probably noticed all these things. He's out there, you know, watching the sheep, and he sees nature. He's thinking about that. And so he begins to pen, was it Psalm 42, I believe? I could be wrong about the reference. But he starts talking about the deer panting for the water. And he starts saying, you know, that's how I feel toward you. My soul longs for you, the living God, to be in your presence. Sadly, Many Christians in this region are not really abiding in the Lord. They don't have prayer lives. They don't have the relationship. If you ask them, what's God been speaking to you? They can't answer the question. I remember, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Steve Hill today because he's an inspiration in this. But when I met with Brother Steve back in 2003, I met with him for different reasons than this. We were talking about things to do with destiny, etc. I don't have time to go into that. But he... 
the first thing he does is he starts asking me about my relationship with the Lord. He was not interested in how many times I went to church or anything like that. He said, so what has God been speaking to you lately? I said, well, it's kind of personal, but since you ask, and I started sharing with him. And, I, <laughs> and he was, you know what he was doing? He was just making sure that I wasn't religious, that I really knew the Lord. But sadly, you ask a lot of Christians out there, what's God been speaking to you? They can't answer that because they don't have prayer lives. They're not abiding. And because they're not abiding, they're not really bearing fruit. They'll make all the excuses in the world for why they're not bearing fruit, but it's not going to fly when they stand before the king. They can make all the excuses to me and you they want. Well, I don't have time. I'm so busy at work. I have this and the other. That's fine. But when you stand before the Lord, you're not going to be able to use that. Because you put other things before him. These things were more important to you than him. Making money was more important to you than bearing fruit for his kingdom. You're not going to be able to get out of it. I'm not going to be able to get out of it. That's just the way it is. And I want to be able to stand before him and him say, Scott, you sought first the kingdom. I added the other stuff. I took care of you because you sought first the kingdom. I took care of the needs. You bore fruit. I don't want to stand before him and say, and Jesus look at me and say, you're saved, you're coming in, but there's so much more you could have done. I don't want to hear that. Too many people are hearers and not doers. They'll hear sermons like this, and they'll, amen, they'll write it down, and then for about a week, they change, and then they go right back to what, the way they were before We're called to be hearers and doers. And don't compare yourself with other Christians. There's people out there, I don't care how long they've been saved, and I don't care what title they have. You hear me. If they don't have prayer lives, they should. They're not a good example for you. If they're not faithful to God's house like they should be, they are not a good example for you. If they don't have godly convictions in their life, about things like, you know, whether it be alcohol or, or entertainment or whatever, they're not a good example for you. The cares of this life and making money chokes out fruitfulness. All of a sudden, somebody says, well, I used to have a stronger prayer life. I used to go out witnessing and doing things. But You know what I found? We make time for what's important to us. People make time to watch their favorite football team. They'll make time to watch their favorite show. They'll make time to do something else they want to do. But when it comes to doing the things that are important to the Lord, which I've already mentioned, making his house a house of prayer, they neglect coming to prayer meetings, going out witnessing. They find an excuse why they don't need to be there. Um, doing the very things that they're supposed to be doing, they have all their reasons why they just can't do it. So what has slithered, slithered into some people's lives and squeezed them and choked out their fruitfulness? God has called us to be a restorer of all things. I'm going to share some things here in a minute. I'm about to close. I'm going to share some things by the leading of the Holy Spirit that I really don't like to talk about, but I feel like it will help you, so I'm going to obey the Lord and do it. But anyway, restoration of all things, Isaiah 58. God has been moving in these latter days. 
the, remember, I've preached on this enough that you, you guys know, but the book of Acts, heaven must receive Jesus till the restoration of all things. Since 1517, Martin Luther nailed his thesis on the door in Wittenberg. There's been a reformation, and God has been moving through revivals from 1517 till now, and there's been a great restoration that's going on. And all things will be restored. And we're living in the last days. It seemed like once Israel was dispersed among the nations in 70 AD, it's like God pushed pause on end time prophecy. But in 1948, when Israel was regathered and became a nation again, God pushed unpause. And end time prophecy has been moving forward at an increasing pace ever since. And we are living in the last of the last days. The coming of the Lord is very near. And there's not a lot of time to do what we need to be doing. And if there's ever been a time we need to be seeking first the kingdom, it's now. We don't need to let some religious principality over a region lull us to sleep, singing some lullaby, getting church to just be a social club. All of a sudden, people aren't really concerned about the lost anymore. People aren't praying with an urgency. We can give all the excuses we want to the Lord on Judgment Day, but we should not lose our burden and we should not lose our zeal and we shouldn't lose our urgency. If we do, it's not God's fault. It's ours on an individual basis. When I stand before the Lord, I'm not going to be able to take my wife and say, well, why don't you talk to her for me? All of us are going to stand before the Lord individually and give an account for the way we lived our lives. And God is testing and looking to see who he can trust. Now God sees somebody that has all the potential in the world. They've got an obvious call. They have a gifting of some kind, maybe teaching or maybe prayer or whatever else. They got a gifting. They've got potential. They have an anointing. But yet, when it comes down to time for God to use them, he sees that they've been so unfaithful. They don't pray. They're not faithful to God's house. They're not faithful to be doing the, the ABCs, things they need to be doing. And he says, I love them. They're mine. They're going to be in heaven. But at the end of the day, I cannot use them right now. And he'll pass them by and use somebody else. So let me share some things. I cannot tell you how much I don't like talking about these things I'm about to, but I'm going to because the Lord wants me to. All right, so there's been different things in my life that I've had to learn and go through. And some of this maybe you've heard, probably most of it you have not because I don't talk about it. But one of the things that God began to do in my life when I was young in the Lord I got saved in January of 95. And I had to move out of the region where I lived because I was around and involved in so much sin that I had to relocate. So anyway, I moved to Dallas and I began to, you know, go to, eventually go to Bible school in Waxahachie. And when I was living there, God had been, I would say that God had been drawing me in prayer some, you know, but he was doing a work in my life because everybody knows when you're a teenager, you know, God's got to really mature you and grow you up, you know. And so what he did was he put me in a situation 
You know, everybody that's a teen, when you were a teenager, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you lived your life, you know, riding your bike, playing video games, whatever. All of a sudden now, you're out of the house. And so God began to really do a work in my life because it was like a reality check. God took me and I began to go to Bible school and I was carrying a full load on Tuesdays and Thursdays and I had a Monday night class. And on top of that, I worked Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10-hour shifts at a warehouse. It's cold in the winter, hot in the summer, and I lifted heavy things all day. I had to get up at um, quite early. I don't really remember. It's been so long. But I had to get up really early because I had to clock in at 7, and it was an hour drive from where I was in Waxahachie. I worked over there. Those that are familiar with Dallas at 35 and Inwood, it's over by that medieval times. That's where I worked. It was back in a warehouse back in there. And I lived in Waxahachie, so I had to drive one hour one way. So a 10-hour shift became basically 12 because you're driving in Russia. So I had to get up really early and pray and um, spend any time with the Lord I could and then drive that and work all day. And it was hard work. I mean, it was really hard work. And then, you know, on the next day, I would go to school all day. And I didn't have a lot of time the following day at work to do homeworks. So I had to do it that day. So God began to really drill into me some discipline. And I had to grow up. And I remember coming out of that time that I began to work with some young people at a church. And now, being on staff there, I had more time. And um, God began in January of 97, you know, two years later, I was... Um, 21 God began to draw my life really strongly began to draw me to prayer now never forget because I was house sitting for the pastor I was working for and there was a God had really touched my life at Brownsville in 96 I mean really touched me when I say touched me it was a life altering big thing and I was totally different and um, in January 97 I was house sitting for him and listened to a CD I'd bought at Brownsville when I was there and it was one of those early CDs and the Spirit of Lord was playing and the Spirit of God just came in and touched me really powerfully alone and I began to feel a drawing into prayer but I didn't know how to pray and of course you know, nothing around me would have taught me and so I began to you know work as much as I could get done as quickly as I could and I would just go find a place there somewhere and pray and it was hard at first because I didn't know how well there was two elderly women that were intercessors that came up there they began to take me under their wing and teach me etc etc and so God took that that was the beginning and then thrust me back again into the work field and now God wanted to test my metal and see what I was made of because by now I knew how to pray and I was having to work at this time. I was working nights. So I'd go in at 6 in the evening, and I would work all the way till like 5 the next morning or whatever. And it was the weirdest thing I ever did, man. I was eating, you know, dinner when everybody else was eating breakfast, that type of thing. It was just weird. I never really got used to it. But anyway, I had sleep weird hours. But I remember I was having to, to work all night, and on Saturdays, I was also helping out at this church. So on Saturdays, I'd get off 5 or whatever, um, or I'm sorry, get off in the morning, like at 5 Sunday morning, 
and I'd have to come home, shower, and just go straight to church. And I had to have a lesson ready. I had to be ready to help minister and help on whatever they needed, praise and worship, pray with people, everything that, you know, and just go home, take a nap, do it again Sunday night. And, um, but I remember that, that during the time when I was going through this, God was really working in me because I was having to spend, make time for prayer. And I had another job where I was working across town, one hour drive, and I was working 40 hours a week, nine to five in a cubicle. If you want to go literally insane, and I don't want to go. Anyway, so I was doing that. You got to do what you got to do. And I was doing that for a time. But when I was doing this, I was living at this time on the east or the northeast area of um, Mesquite, kind of a Balt Springs, if you're familiar with the area. And I was driving all the way to 75, 635 Coit, if you know where that's at. So it was like an hour drive. And so I was having to get up, and I'm saying all this for this reason. I was having to get up at like 4 in the morning just to be able to have a prayer time. And I don't like talking about this stuff. I feel it's personal. But I am by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to obey him. But anyway, I had to get up like at 4 just to have prayer time. Man, by the time Friday rolled around, I'd be so tired. But I did it. But I'm going to tell you, God was testing my mettle. He was seeing what I was made of. He was seeing, are you going to be a man of prayer or are you going to be a wimp? A lot of people wimp out. But I was determined. And it was, it was very difficult. But I did it. I got up. I made it happen. I made time for God. And you know, during those times, I drew closer to him. Sleep deprivation. Having to go without food. I'm not joking. It was hard. I mean, some of y'all may relate, but I, it, was, it was a difficult time. And I really sought him. I spent time. And it was through that time that I believe God was forging a life of prayer. That prayer was going to be a priority. It was going to be an emphasis. And God looked and said, all right, he's proven himself over time that even in these adverse circumstances, he's going to be a man of prayer. So God anointed me. And God began to use me. Now let me fast forward. I remember back years ago, you know, my wife and I, again, I do not like talking about this stuff, but I'll do it anyway. All right, so we were going through a really difficult time. I hope I do a good job explaining all this because when you don't want to do something and you're just doing it because God tells you to. But anyway, I just pray the Holy Spirit helped me with it. But um, we went through a very difficult time. Some people are like, well, why don't you like to talk about it? If you ever actually go through something that's really bad, then you'll understand why somebody doesn't like to talk about it. All right. Um, anyway, but we went through a time, my wife and I did, where I really believed that the devil was literally trying to kill me, physically kill me, and was trying to destroy our life, was trying to destroy our ministry. And um, I, I became extremely sick. I had never been that sick in my life. And um, I couldn't talk about a lot of people. When you're a minister, you, people don't understand unless you're in the ministry, so I'm not going to try to explain it. But I, could, I didn't have a lot of people I talked to about things. Anyway, I was sick. I mean, bad sick. Like, I, I don't want to get into it, but just trust me, it was alarming, to say the least. The mental oppression was unbelievable. I didn't think, I say this before the Lord, 
I did not think a Christian could go through what I went through. I didn't think that it, it could happen. But it did. And so that changed my theology about that. I went through a mental oppression that was unreal. Um, the Satan began to attack our, our relationships. I had friends turn into enemies. I had people. I can't tell you how hurt I was. I mean, literally, that was the most painful, one of the most painful things I've ever been through in my life. And um, you can't really talk about it. You don't know who your friends really are. All of a sudden, people I thought were friends are now folding their arms and glaring at me. They want your downfall. And they, they would love to turn other people against you if they can, and they did. It was a major betrayal. Even people, it surprised me, some of the people that would just sit there and glare at me with like hatred or something. I was like, all right, whatever. Um, but anyway, my wife and I were, were brokenhearted. Um, it, was, it was a very, so physically, mentally, emotionally, and um, relationships. We lost friends. Satan began to attack our finances, and um, he was trying to completely destroy whatever we had going in the ministry. And I don't say that lightly. I, when I say he was trying to, he was trying that it would disappear from existence, that it just no longer was there. We walked away. And the temptation was for me to walk away from it, to be honest. I really, truly thought about it. I thought to myself, I wouldn't wish this on a snake. And my wife and I talked about it. And um, what's, you know, I thought to myself, what's the point of trying to, because I mean, people we had poured into are now total Judases, for real, like a real Judas. And I was like, all right, whatever. But we were told, I was totally brokenhearted about it. But the Lord will heal you if you let him. And he healed us. And I wanted to leave. I did. I, how would you feel when you feel like friends, like who's your, who's your real friends? All of a sudden people are turning. You know, you're just kind of like, okay, well, y'all go do your thing. And we'll just go do ours. That's the way I felt. But the Lord spoke to me and said, I put you here. You're going to stay put. And so I, I stuck it out. And um, I survived. And God, God healed me emotionally. And um, he, he took away that really, it was, a, it was an attack. I really believe you're dealing with principalities and powers. I had some prophetic words that were warnings. Um, Cindy Jacobs, I don't want to get too much in it, but she warned me about an ancient spirit that attacks such and such and that I would face something. And she was right, it did. Um, anyway, it was a major attack. But, but the interesting thing was, here I was going through that. People are leaving our lives. People are betraying us. I'm trying to get up sick as a dog, mentally oppressed like you would not believe, brokenhearted, looking at people, some of whom in the room are just glaring at me. <laughs> and I've got to come in and preach a sermon. Pray for everybody in there and still function and I did and the Lord was saying then are you gonna man up are you gonna be a man are you gonna get in here and do this or are you gonna wimp out hello and during that time I was going through all that none of the people really knew what we were really going through 
I remember going down to um, the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival when it was going on. And um, John Patrick was praying for people and came by me. And he prayed over me and he prophesied a tenfold increase of anointing. And I was going through the worst time. <laughs> you, know, you remember. And um, I came back and I said, well, the Lord let it be. And you know what? It was just a major increase of anointing started coming. I mean, just one after the other. And God just started pouring out his spirit in a much greater way. The glory started increasing. So I had, God began to really test my mettle to see, are you somebody that I can trust? Because see, some people can't even be faithful to church. Some people put other things before prayer meetings and before God in so many other ways. But God was putting me in a horrible situation and was saying, in this situation, are you still going to man up and be a man of prayer? Preach the word, pray for people, still be winning souls, still be what I called you to do in the most adver adver adverse circumstances, or are you going to fold up and leave? And I really believe that was the determining factor right there. And another thing, there's two more. I'm sharing these for a reason, as the Lord told me to. The third one was opposition. We have major opposition to the, about the Holy Spirit. We've had major opposition in the past about the healing and the deliverance ministry. And we've had major opposition about other truths. And God wanted to see, are you going to shut things, like still have church but shut down the move of the Holy Spirit just because you're being persecuted? Or are you going to man up and, and keep going forward with what you know is right? Are you still going to preach revival? Are you still going to preach healing? Are you still going to preach deliverance? Are you still going to function in the anointing? Are you still going to minister to people? Or is this opposition, are you going to shut it down? Those are three areas where I believe God was testing me for me to be here now. Was I going to be a man of prayer? Was I going to be somebody that would still, you know, function in the ministry and be obedient? Or would I fold up and leave when things got tough? Am I still going to be preaching the truth even though there's opposition and people aren't receptive? I believe in the tongues and the gifts and the Holy Spirit and that will never change and I don't care who likes it or hates it I don't care if people come or leave because of it I'm still preaching it and God knows that same with healing and deliverance it doesn't make me no difference anymore and it hasn't for a long time it's interesting when you go through stuff like this you quit caring about what other people think at all and all you really care about is being obedient and faithful and the last thing I would say is the last time I felt my wife and I were really tested this was a very interesting situation. We were a part of a, of a group that um, trying to unify different pastors and things like that. And we had done things like this before this group existed. We would try to unify with other ministers and churches, etc. Like this coming Monday, I have a pastor of another church. We meet together and we'll pray. And so I've always had a heart for unifying God's people if you can. It's not possible with everybody. 
But anyway, we began to unify with some other leaders. Well, you know how it is. There's a lot of things I could say. But at the end of the day, I remember that they had this one person kind of asserted himself to be a leader. But anyway, he had a minister come in that ministered at something that we were a part of. But whenever, I'm trying to be careful what I say, but whenever we, first off, this was not my idea. This was his idea. But whenever I researched this a little bit, we found, you know, some red flags. You know, there was this, you know, his, his secretary was asked, well, what is he like so that we could get him something nice? And I mean, it was like, his secretary starts talking about tobacco products, alcohol. And I'm like, but anyway, this, this guy that asserted himself to be a leader, he had already booked all this. It was, so we get there, and this individual, I mean, the Holy Spirit was really moving during the worship, but the individual was preaching, of course, a very hyper-grace message and um, was using profanity from the pulpit. And that ticked me off, friend. Oh, yeah. And um, my wife is more outspoken. Like, I would go to him in private, but God had given her or me a dream. I don't remember, but basically telling her to not. And she's the type that would say something out loud. But I, I was, like, going to go confront. And so I went and talked to the, the friend, and I told him, I have concerns about this. I mean, we're, this is, okay, here's my concern. You're telling me, and these other pastors are telling me we want revival. And then this is what you're doing. You're not going to have revival like this. So his response to me was, well, you're just offended. You have a problem. Da, da, da. Said, all right, well. So anyway, we had, um, we had them all over our house. And, you know, we served them and blessed them and loved on them. And all the leaders were there. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Are you going to be a wimp and a sissy? and just go along with everything that you know is not right. You know it's not right. Are you just going to go along with it to get along? Or are you going to say, excuse me, I don't agree with this. We have a problem. I had two other pastors there that also had concerns. I love them, and I'm not saying their names, but they totally wimped out, totally wimped out, would not back me up, would not say a thing left me out there by myself to talk about it, didn't they? And she knows who they were. And I was mad at them because I'm thinking, you know, you can at least agree with me, you know, even if you're not going to say something. But they just sat there, I mean, like wimps. And so I had to say something. And, and people, I had people in that group just looking at me. Some, one lady just glaring at me like I was a weirdo. And I was like, well, all right, you know what? I don't agree with it, and, you know, this isn't the avenue that we're going to feel comfortable with going with. I'm just telling you now. And I said, why can't we have preachers in here? It's not like we don't have good preachers in America somewhere. Why, can't, why are we picking that? Why, there's other people that won't cuss. There's other people that will preach the truth. But they're just looking at me like I'm weird. Anyway. But my wife was like, at the end of it, she was like, I'm proud of you for saying something. But I didn't feel comfortable with it. And I really feel that that was a test that God put me through. Would we just go along with things that aren't right, or will we take a stand? I remember sharing, I remember sharing that with a few different people. I shared that story with Lyndall. 
And he just looked at me like, dear God. You know, and he said he couldn't believe that I, he couldn't believe that I said what I did, you know, but he, he was, but he totally agreed. He's just shaking his head. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, what, what is going on in the American church that all of a sudden all this is okay? So at the leading of the Lord, against my will, <laughs> but anyway, no, I'm just kidding, but I, I shared some things that were personal I don't like to talk about. But God had to forge in me to be a person of prayer. He had to forge in me, would, would I still preach and minister in adverse times? He also had to forge in me, would I still preach the truth even though I was opposed for it? And even though people were leaving. Because we've, we've had several people come through that just don't like the Holy Spirit. Period. That's why they don't come. And then also with this this last thing would i go along with things that are not right and bring you all along with it just to get along with other pastors and churches but i don't want to do it and i'll tell you why somebody say well why because of one reason because i know that when i die you're not going to be there they're not going to be there the person with their arms folded glaring at me is not going to be there. The person looking at me like I'm a weirdo isn't going to be there. The person that left because they don't like the Holy Ghost isn't going to be there. I'm going to stand alone before the king and give an account. And I'm not going to do something here and now that I'm going to regret when I stand before him. You can forget it. That's why. So when motives are purified like that, when we're living for the Lord, then we can make the right decisions. But if you're making decisions based on a money person in the church, you don't want to offend so-and-so, you want everybody to like you, you want to be popular, you want to have big numbers. When you have the motives like that, all of a sudden messages are compromising. You're willing to go with things you shouldn't. And you know, but you'll justify it. All of a sudden there's compromising. There's, there's convictions that are waning and now there's hypocrisy. And now you're just saying what you think people want to hear instead of preaching what God says. But by the grace and mercy of God, I'm not going to be a sellout. And I know you're not either. I'm not doing it. By his grace, he's going to have to help all of us. But I'm not going to do it. All right, what I want to do tonight is totally different. But I want everybody to sit still and just look this way. Because I want to explain. I can pray for everybody that later wants prayer. If you need prayer for healing, whatever, I'll pray with you. But I really felt the Lord leading this direction. This sermon is for me and you. It's not for your neighbor. It's not for your wife. It's not for your husband. It's for you and me. You know what I'm saying? It's for you. And I feel like God is wanting to know, are we going to grow up? Are we going to man up, woman up? Are we going to really, are we going to be what he needs us to be? Or are we going to be wimps? Are we going to have the prayer lives we need to have? Are we going to be the light and the witnesses we need to be? Is River of Life going to be the place that he can move like he wants to move?
Now, I really feel the Lord is, is, is looking, but see, the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. That's a scary scripture. All of us are called, but the question is, who's going to let God forge in us character and faithfulness to where we can actually be chosen when it comes time to be used of God? Or will God have to go down the road and find somebody else? And don't think he can't do it. The God is big enough tomorrow he could save somebody out of the gutter and use them instead of me. And use them more powerfully, just to be honest. He don't, he don't need us in that respect. But yet he does need people to cooperate with him. I want to be somebody that God can, can use and trust. And I want us to do something a little different tonight because normally I just pray for everybody. But I felt in preparing this sermon, I felt earlier a really deep grief and, a, and like a sorrow of the Holy Spirit that a warning that God does not want us to conform to this religious spirit in this region. God does not want us to get lukewarm. And people need to get serious with God. I feel that for all of us and me too. I need to get serious with God. And we need to examine our lives. And we need to really take into account are we really everything God wants? Because some people, there's a spirit in the Bible called a spirit of stupor. I didn't say stupid. I said stupor. Stupor means this in Romans. They have eyes, but they don't really see. They have ears, but they don't really hear. A spirit of stupor will cause people to not perceive. You'll talk to them, and they're like, yeah, everything's great. But yet, you don't know from one week to the next if they're going to be at prayer meeting. Everything's not okay. But in their mind, it is. It's a spirit of stupor. You don't know from one week to the next if they're going to be witnessing. And it's not that hard to do. But some kind of a spirit has come in and it's like staggered them spiritually. It's a religious thing that they feel. They, they don't mean to, but they're becoming like the Laodicean church. I'm rich and in need of nothing. Everything's fine. But the Lord looks and said, actually, you're wretched, poor, naked, and blind. You need to buy gold refined in the fire. You need to let me anoint your eyes so you can see the way I see. Hello? Gold refined in the fire is where we ask God to send his fire and begin to purify us. That means there probably will be some testings. That means there probably will be some pruning. That means there's going to be some good conviction. We're going to have a reality check and see things about ourselves we didn't know. So how many are man enough or woman enough to let God do that? And say, Lord, it may not be fun, but send your fire and begin to clean me out and do a work in me that, I, that has never been done. I want to see what I haven't been able to see before. Anoint my eyes. Give me gold refined in the fire. Prune me so that I can be more fruitful. That's the question. You can't preach like this too many places. You know it and I know it. Most places you go, you can't preach like this. The question is, can the Holy Spirit look at River of Life? And this is a place that can actually be preached like this and people will receive it. That's the question. So what I want to do is just play that CD. 
and you can shut down recordings but I want us to do this I want us to move the chairs and I want people to really have time I'm gonna get on my face but I encourage people to get on their face before God or kneel whatever you can do and let's humble ourselves before the Lord and let God do a purifying in us.